This is Poetry Off the Shelf. I'm Helena de Groot. This week, the Young People's Poet Laureate. Every two years, the Poetry Foundation chooses a Young People's Poet Laureate, a poet who has a knack for writing poetry that moves kids and teens, and maybe even emboldens them to write their own. For the next two years, that poet is Naomi Shihab Nye, who has published over 30 books for readers of different ages, including more than 10 collections of poetry. Naomi Shihab Nye's latest collection just came out in April, The Tiny Journalist. In this book, she takes on the perspective of an actual tiny journalist, a girl who lives in the West Bank in Palestine and started documenting life under the Israeli occupation after her uncle and cousin were killed when she was only seven years old. Who is she and how did you first find out about her? You know, the truth is I cannot remember how I first heard about her. Mm. Her name is Jana Ayad, and she mm. lives in the West Bank in a village very close to uh, the village where my Palestinian grandmother spent decades. Her cousin Ahed went to prison last year for slapping mm. a soldier who had entered their home after shooting her a family member. And... Um, This kind of caught the world's attention, but I was already writing notes down about Jenna for mm. many years, just, just imagining this girl. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like you to read the poem that introduces Jenna, uh, the tiny journalist in question. The poem is called Morning Song. Yes. It's on page 17. Got it. The tiny journalist will tell us what she sees. Document the moves, the dust, soldiers blocking the road. Yes, she knows how to take a picture with a phone, holds it high like a balloon. Yes, she would prefer to dance and play, would prefer the world to be pink. It is her job to say what she sees, what is happening. From her vantage point, everything is huge. But don't look down on her. She's bigger than you are. If you stomp her garden, each leaf expands its view. Don't hide what you do. She sees you at 2 a.m. adjusting your impenetrable vest. What could she have that you want? Her treasures, the shiny buttons her grandmother loved, her cousin, her uncle. There might have been a shirt. The tiny journalist notices action on faraway roads, farther even than the next village. She takes counsel from bugs, so puffs of dust find her first. Could that be a friend? They pretended not to see us. They came at night with weapons. What was our crime? That we liked respect as they do? That we have pride? She stares through a hole in the fence, barricade of words and wire, feels the rising fire before anyone strikes a match. She has a better idea. Thank you. You're welcome. It's very powerful the way that you bring in the world of a child where shiny buttons are a yeah. treasure. 
Yeah. To me, it makes sense to imagine, you know, how a child sees this. And I always felt very committed to staying close to the child mind. And my, my grandmother actually maintained that childlike quality herself. She had a mm -hmm. green trunk in her bedroom. And she was very funny about this trunk because as a child, I used to ask her if I could open it. I mean, any child wants <laughs> to see what's inside a big trunk. And she would say, no, 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 it's my secret treasures or my sacred. But then when we would look in it, it would have these shiny buttons or spools of thread or broken plates. <laughs> and I loved the fact that she would keep the broken plate because it had a little flower on it or mm. it was a nice color. And people would laugh at her and, you know, make fun of that. But to me, that was her capacity of childhood that had never left her. Yeah. So it is funny to me. It started feeling like a perspective blend. I mean, I've never met Jenna. I don't want to presume that I know exactly what Jenna thinks. She's 13 years old now, and there is nothing that a 13-year-old would like less than having some adult in another country pretend like that adult knows what they're thinking. <laughs> so I, I I honor her perspective. Yeah. I am touched that as a child, she took on this heavy, heavy mantle. But also then it mingles with my own perspective, having lived there as a teenager, and then going back many, many times, and just being uh, pretty obsessed with the region for my entire life. Yeah. I'm interested in, in that part when you watch her pictures and videos. What do you recognize and what has changed yeah. almost beyond recognition? Yeah. Well, I remember as a teenager myself, my uncle and my father, you know, on very back roads in the West Bank, we'd be out taking an evening walk, watching the sunset. And something mm -hmm. would happen, like the things that happen in her videos. The soldier would just drive up in his tank and suddenly put a gun on us and I would just shout. And my father would always grab me by the shoulder and say, be quiet, stay quiet, don't shout, don't speak up, um, because they could do something worse. I remember being back as maybe like a 33-year-old and working in a school in East Jerusalem with the Arab kids, and they were having, I can't remember, like their 50th or 100th anniversary of the school. They had a big cake. And while we're having this little birthday party, Uh, the soldiers came and started shooting up the front windows and door of the school. God. And I said, this is, this is an outrage. We have to go talk to them. We have to go tell them to stop. And everybody said, no, no, we have to go in the back room because they'll shoot us. It's not worth dying for. They do this all the time. And then later, once they went away, the teacher showed me how many other parts of the school they had shot into. And I said, but why are they doing it? And the teacher said something very tragic, like they know we're having a special day. I remember sitting with my grandmother when she was around 104, and we're doing nothing but a bunch of women chatting about embroidery and babies, and the soldiers yeah. come and tear gas us all in her little living room of her ancient ruined house, which she had moved into after losing her other house in the city of Jerusalem to Israeli soldiers at gunpoint. 
and I went ballistic. I went berserk. I was jumping up and trying to run out with my tears streaming down my face, shouting at the soldiers, and my grandmother was pulling on my dress saying, no, sit down, Um, you know, in Arabic, sit down, be quiet, don't say anything, they'll just be worse to us. This will pass, tear gas passes. And I thought, my goodness, they have experienced this so many times that they're acting like it's a normal bit of weather. This is what Palestinians have put up with, Helena, and everyone knows it, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to admit it. I think that is something I really share with Jenna uh, all my life, the idea that, no, we can't stop speaking. We can't be quiet just because they've done this before and they'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what is so interesting about your choice of merging your perspective with that of Jenna is that it almost shocks us to have a child look at that because children sort of, yeah, they point out that the emperor has no clothes. Right. Well, right. The child doesn't have this 71-year perspective. It's just a little child who was at home eating kusa with her family, and suddenly they're under attack. You know, the way that you talk about war, when you do that in schools uh, with kids, I wonder if, you ever, if you've ever experienced pushback, you know, angry parents who, who write to you or something like that. Um, I really have not, hmm. which is... A little bit miraculous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel young readers need to be protected? Are there certain topics off limits you think too? I feel, you know, no, I don't think kids need to be protected because look at the world they're living in. You know, I'd be curious how many little children in the world have taken in things just in the past two years that uh, their families might have wished they hadn't. And um, yeah, yeah. And are you sometimes surprised by, like, the way that kids uh, take in things like war uh, and how they grasp it at a much more fundamental level than we give them credit for? I'm always amazed by their perceptions. I remember being in a classroom in um, either Abu Dhabi or Dubai, and a kid toward the very end of poetry class said, could I just ask you, like, a personal question about American kids? Do they... Mm. Do they look at us, Arab kids, as possible friends in the future? Do they know how much we would like to know them? And, you know, I just feel Mm -hmm. always the capacity of children to want to be connected to one another. There's this poem, again, in The Tiny Journalist, which is called A Palestinian Might Say. Yes. And I was wondering if you could read that poem. Sure, I would love to. I remember I was in the Middle East on the day of our last presidential election uh, results in this country. And so I was, you know, pretty staggered. And um, some of my Arab friends were saying to me, maybe your Palestinian side can help your American side now. You know, when you have kind of experiences in more than one country, as you do too, you have to kind of put things up there and you look at them in a slightly different way. Mm. 
a Palestinian might say, what? You don't feel at home in your country almost overnight? All the simple things you cared about maybe took for granted? You feel insulted, invisible, almost as if you're not there? But you're there. Where before you mingled freely, appreciated people who weren't just like you, divisions grow stronger. That's what chosen and unchosen will do. Just keep your eyes on your houses and gardens. Keep your eyes on that tree in bloom. Yes, a wall. Hours came later, but who talks about how sad the land looks, marked by a massive wall? That's not a normal shadow. It's something else looming over your lives. Yeah. You know, I live, uh, we live close to the border here in San Antonio, and uh, yeah. I've participated in some readings right on the border, you know, against this ludicrous concept of a bigger wall or more wall separating our countries. I live in a 63% Latino city, Latina city, and very proud of that. And it's mm-hmm. just so, uh, so ridiculous. Yeah, I think, you know, like, if you have an experience, what did you say, 71 years? Yeah, 71 years. Of seeing the effects of, like, the politics of division, of making people feel like, oh, you have nothing in common, and right. these other people are subhuman, and right. they're, you know, only a threat to our national safety. Yeah. I mean, you must understand something about that kind of politics in a much deeper way than those of us who, who are just uh, waking up to it now. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, as a young people's poet laureate, you have a very interesting platform. Do you have plans about how you want to use it? Well, I, I do, and I, I thank you for saying that, and I do feel that. I feel sort of a rush of enthusiasm about things I'd like to do. Uh, I'd like to do anything around the border that I could, and I would <laughs> like to do more poetry workshops for Arab-American kids with Jewish kids, all of us together, mm. and just talking. and. Yeah. I am so grateful that there are so many Jewish people in the United States who have all kinds of activist organizations, um, along with, of course, Arab people and people of all backgrounds and you know ethnicities yeah. who want to stand up for justice in the region because there has been no justice for 71 years. I spend a lot of time with my three-year-old grandson, and I feel even in this little boy who's never been to school yet, he's so open to the world and so loving, so fascinated by, say, a light fixture or a clock <laughs> that is unlike one he's ever seen before. He'll say this this little dramatic statement like, oh, I have never seen a clock like that in my whole life. And I think that is so cute. I mean, how many of us get that excited over seeing a new style clock? Well, we should. I also love the sincerity with which he says my entire life. Oh, I know. I know. know. Right now he says my whole life to every single thing. And last week he started saying, I, I noticed this, actually, to a lot of things. Like he would say, well, actually, I never saw that. And I thought that is so cute. 
just that pers- that new language awareness. Mm-hmm. Talking about language awareness, there's this one poem, and it's called "Why I Could Not Accept Your Invitation." Oh yes, it's in uh, "You and Yours" on page yes. uh, fifty-eight. Ah yes. Why I could not accept your invitation. Besides the fact that your event is coming up in three weeks on the other side of the world, and you just invited me now, your facts contained the following phrases. Action Research Oriented Initiative. Regionally Based Evaluation Vehicles. Culture Should Impregnate All Different Sectors. Consumption of Cultural Products. Key Flashpoints in Thematic Areas. Don't get me wrong. I love what you are doing, believing in art and culture. There, in the country, next to the country, my country has recently been devastating in the name of democracy. But that is not the language I live in, and so I cannot come. I live in teaspoon, bucket, river, pain, turtle sunning on a brick. Forgive me. Culture is everything right about now. But I cannot pretend a scrap of investment in the language that allows human beings to kill one another systematically, abstractly, distantly. The language wrapped around 37,000, or whatever the number today, dead and beautiful bodies thrown into holes without any tiny, reasonable Goodbye. Yeah. I mean, you know, it starts off so lighthearted and funny, and then it gives me a punch in the gut at the end, you know, when you actually make the connection between this sort of abstract language that removes us from our bodies, from how we feel. Yeah. And yeah, that you make this connection, like it allows human beings to kill one another systematically, abstractly, distantly. Yeah. And, you know, I know they had good intentions and I hope they had a great event, (laughs) but but it just scared me the way they were talking. And I think if we're going to save our precious earth and we're going to save one another, we have to consider the exact details that make life as precious as it is. And I think one of the ways you stay in touch with it in your own life is taking notes. Um, It has always seemed to me uh, that every human being could write down like three sentences a day that connect to something you experienced that is tangible, that is something you would like not to forget. May I tell you a poem my grandson said a couple months ago? Please. He loves public buses. And Uh um, he was staring out the front window and a bus passed by our house and it's a turquoise bus, his favorite via bus in San Antonio. Uh And he said, uh, oh, my own bus was going by and it didn't even look at me. It, it just left me here. And I thought, you know, I could write all week long and I will not write a better poem than that. So that's the kind of thing, like if I didn't write that down today, I would be struggling mm-hmm. to remember exactly his words. But because I yeah. wrote it down and because I wrote down, you know, thousands of things his dad said 33 years ago, um, I can remember them. And uh-huh. that helps us become more tuned in to... Delicious language. 
And that's what we need to keep us tuned into our lives. And I think to have access to our own our own lives, our own memories and experiences, that will help every one of us and it will help make us more empathetic human beings, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever path we go on. Naomi Shihab Nye has written over 10 poetry collections for young readers, including her latest, The Tiny Journalist. You can find more about her work and her plans as Young People's Poet Laureate on the Poetry Foundation website, where each month she will recommend her favorite books of poetry for kids and teens. The music in this episode is by Todd Sikafus. I'm Helena de Groot, and this was Poetry Off the Shelf. Thank you for listening.